Hi, I'm Adam Murray. Subtle Disruptors is about pondering two questions. What does it mean to live well in this moment, given the context within which we find ourselves? And how can we shape the world we live in so that it becomes closer to the one we want to inhabit? I do this by talking with people who you probably haven't heard of, but who I think are embodying a fascinating response to these two questions and doing it in a way that involves subtle changes all of us can make. I want you and I to get as much as possible out of these stories and to feel encouraged, connected and resolute in our own quests of subtle disruption. This week I'm talking with Rachel Service. Here is a little bit from Rachel. But then so many people were saying, cool, make sure you get up at five to get ready by six at the gym and then be at work by nine and then wonder why people are exhausted by 3pm. And then from three to five, what percentage of the working world is doing anything apart from filing emails, which is an effing waste of time. So yeah, something I teach is what are your outcomes? Oh no, no, we're here to learn to be more efficient. Okay, what are you getting paid for? Oh, well, to make sure that the sales are A, B and C, cool. You know what? Fuck the emails for a second. If you're not delivering the outcomes, it doesn't matter how perfect your admin is. Sitting on the lawns of Melbourne's National Art Gallery, talking about moving towards happiness was a great way to spend a Sunday morning. Here are some details of our sponsor for this week before I tell you more about my conversation with Rachel. A brand new product to market, Roaming Company produced the highest quality fresh mints you can find and through a connection to local artists have created an entirely different mint experience. Available only in select coffee shops, partnered locations and online, you can learn more at roamingco.com and share their journey by following Roaming Co. on Instagram. Most of the time I know what the thing to do is. It might take a bit of silence or journaling or listening to the timid hunches within me. It might take talking it through with a friend. But eventually the thing I know I need to do becomes clear enough. It is the next bit I seem to have the most trouble with. The doing of the thing I know I need to do. Whether it be a difficult conversation, saying no to something, taking care of myself through the way I eat or move. Sometimes I refuse to do it. Why is this the case? Why can't I give myself permission? After an experience of burning out at work, my guest for this week, Rachel Service, began a journey of looking for the things outside of work that brought joy to her life. It was a journey that has taken her from working 70-hour weeks to facing her anxiety and depression, to learning how to listen, and now to helping others find joy through and outside of work. Thanks for joining me, and I hope you enjoy listening to Rachel Service on the subtle disruption of permission for joy. Yeah, Rachel, it's awesome to be chatting with you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for inviting me yeah, to you're the welcome. children-centric backyard of the NGV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that is my first question. Where, where are we? Which you've kind of answered, but you can answer in a bit more detail. And more importantly, why have you chosen this place? Ooh, uh, for the NGV for me for many years, was somewhere that I could come to and I could pretend that I was in New York. <laughs> yeah, okay. New York's a bit of a favourite place of yours. Yeah, I think like everyone says, oh, you know, you New York. But I think as I've learned, I had an obsession with everything cool is overseas or all my people are overseas. Yeah. Instead of going, no, your people are everywhere. <laughs> you just got to find them. Yeah. And so when I came to the NGV, I kind of imagined that, you know, I was surrounded by all these creative people doing amazing stuff and even now I come to the members lounge 
which is you pay like 20 bucks a year to hang out with like 80 year olds drinking tea. <laughs> <laughs> There's something weirdly reassuring about that. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, you're just surrounded by art and beautiful things and you don't have to purchase anything when you're here. It's mm. not like a, you have to buy, it's not a consumer like buy stuff. We'll talk more about my retail addiction later if that's relevant. Yeah, but sure. just to be somewhere surrounded by beauty, I found it really inspiring. Yeah. yeah. So you said you found it really inspiring. Was it at a particular time in your life that you used to come here? Or do you, do you still come here? Or? Yeah, I suppose when I was having, with my background with depression and anxiety, and I was like, I want to do something. I don't know what the thing is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, I spent many years doing nothing and then complaining about that. So doing nothing, I figured out it didn't actually do much. Yeah. But I found a little baby step was surrounding myself with beautiful things. So like I'd write a list of what gives me mojo. And I had nothing on that list. I didn't know. Mm. Yeah. So I started doing things like going to um, Reading's bookstore in Carlton. Yeah. I don't, I'm not a massive reader of long form books, but I was like, hmm, makes me feel around interesting people. <laughs> Did it? Yeah. <laughs> And I came to the NGV and I was like, I don't really understand modern art, to be honest. I don't really understand it, but oh, this has given me clues of how to feel good about stuff. Yeah. And then I found that small baby steps were kind of incremental. Yeah. yeah. And now I hold many of my clients meet me at the, at the NGV to kind of get them out of their space. Yeah. What time was that in your life? Or how long ago are we talking about? Oh, two, three years ago now. All right. So yeah, only recently. recently. Yeah. yeah. I think like I'd spend most of my 20s thinking, I had one notion of success and that was you wear a suit and you go to work and you work hard as possible and you work 12 hour days and you work six days a week. Yeah. <laughs> like I was in PR, not ER, like I wasn't really saving <laughs> yeah. lives, you know. Yeah. Um, and that all came crashing down when I, you know, overworked, burnt myself out. One year I passed out in the shower. At home. Yeah. yeah. And I, I thought nothing of it. You know, when you're 22, you're like, oh, you think you're robust. And then the next day, like ulcers began to develop in my mouth and my gums and in her my gums. Yeah. And I couldn't, I couldn't eat. I couldn't go to work for two weeks. But I was 22. I thought not eating for two weeks was kind of fabulous. Up, <laughs> 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 oh, screwed up. Yeah. Um, and then when I was 24, I, you know, went through a breakup. So I thought, oh, it's fine. I'll just go to the gym, you know, twice a day, and I'll go to work every day. I was working for a not-for-profit. I wasn't saving lives, you know what I mean? Yeah. I was probably making $50,000 a year. Like, it wasn't it a wasn't massive amount of money. It was a great amount of money, but not massive. And, um, oh, and then, uh, yeah, I went to go to work on a Sunday. Sunday, I didn't have to go to work, but I went to stand up, and the bottom of my, my hips down wouldn't work. That my body was paralyzed. So I was like, oh, this is nuts. And um, when I got my dad to pick me up, you know, 24, so embarrassing, getting your dad to pick you up. Ugh. And they said, oh, that's cool, we'll bring you home, Rach. And then, uh, and then you know, I, I did what I knew, and that was, you know, binge, go to, the, go to the fridge and get out the cheese platter, you know, white middle-class problems, isn't it? Um, and I couldn't find the right cheese knife, and for whatever reason, that set off a kind of panic, fight or flight reaction in my mind, and that was, I thought I was having a stroke, but yeah. I now know that's a panic attack. Yeah. And I learned that through that panic attack, um, uh, my, hist- my um, history of not eating enough and self-hatred and I'm not good enough and what a failure I am, what a fat failure I am, like a size six is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, 
and yeah, that all led to a panic attack. And the next day, I was in the shrinks office, you know, two hundred fifty dollars an hour. Yeah. Um, and she was like, "Oh, Rach, do you know what anxiety and depression is?" And I was like, "Oh, that's not something that I have." She was like, oh, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> she said, "You've got a high-functioning anxiety, and a lot of Type A's and high performers have that, yeah. um, which leads to depression, or they're connected rather. And you have adrenal fatigue, and that's also known, commonly known as burnout." Mm. And uh, so I spent six months, had to take sick leave. I wasn't physically allowed to go to work. Like, I wasn't allowed to go to work. Yeah. Um, and I was at my parents' house, and I spent those days, months, uh, eating, sleeping, crying, going to therapy, crying about how much I was eating, sleeping. <laughs> um, and eventually was strong enough to go to work. Um, but I think, crucially, I didn't... I thought I had learned from those, but I didn't change my behaviours. <laughs> So when I was 30, you know, I went through another breakup. I was like freelancing at the time. That's cool, just throwing myself into work. Um, and when I, you know, burnt myself out, I just got all my savings and, yeah, I ended up in New York. And I took all my savings and I just went to the streets of Soho and I shopped my little heart out Gee, yeah. and cried while I was shopping and bought everything. And then I bought a ticket to, I thought there's only one person in this world who can help me. Um, and it wasn't a therapist, it wasn't an acupuncturist, it wasn't a doctor, it wasn't friends. That was, of course, Beyonce. <laughs> of course. <laughs> you think you're going to awesome. say myself, right? I was expecting that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you know, look, I know, you know. And I was like, well, clearly Beyonce, I still yeah. it. But, you know, she has a lot of spiritual power, I believe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I go to a show in New York and... I've got my little Beyonce t-shirt. And this is in the Sasha Fierce days, so if anyone listening is okay, a Beyonce yeah. fan, that might not even be anything my head, to you. But yeah. <laughs> this is pre-Twins, pre-Lemonade. Okay. Um, and so I walked into the, uh, walked into the center where the concert was in Brooklyn, New York. Um, felt a bit emotional, you know, I was gonna see my heroine. So I went to the merch stand and kind of cried through that and got a poster. Um, and then I took my poster and sobbed, you know, kind of mm, a bit sniffly and I went to the loo, right? And I'm like, oh, it was quite emotional. And back then I had kind of like gothic eyes. It was my look kind of gothic and white and thin. <laughs> that was my aesthetic. Yeah. Um, right, right now I'm actually channeling a J-Lo after she went through a hoop earrings phase. So anyway, this is a gothic phase. <laughs> And um, we'll get a photo of this. As yeah, well. yeah, maybe we should. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so I cried through that, and I had my loo roll kind of patting up my eye makeup. And I went through the opening and act, and the opening acts, they're always terrible, aren't they? So I cried yeah. through the opening act. <laughs> and then, you know, I was in the middle of Brooklyn, so Queen's next to me, well, like, bitch, can you not ruin my vibe? And so Beyonce came on, and by the stage, I'm like, <gasps> like crying for two hours. Oh my like, God. I've never cried so much in my life. I think yeah. it was like kind of a relief cry, a release, my spiritual healer, Beyonce was here, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know, <gasps> all the breakup, all the hurt, all the starving, over the years and all the kind of self-hate and so I got back onto the subway back to my accommodation in Chinatown and um, all around me I looked around and everyone was oh 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 everyone was post-concert vibe you know when you're seeing the gig you're like yeah, yeah. And you're pumped and you're loving life and you know the subway was going through the tunnels and I saw myself in the reflection and I just had this shitty makeup I had my merch this skinny white girl and I just had this massive sulk right and for me, that was a moment I was like, 
Oh, when I was 22, I was a problem. Oh, my God. When I was 24, I was a problem. When I was 30, oh, I think I'm the common denominator in all of these scenarios. Yeah. If I can't enjoy a Beyonce concert, there's actually something seriously wrong. <laughs> so it wasn't me passing out in the shower, and it wasn't me taking six months off work. It wasn't the therapist saying, hey, you've got to change your life. It wasn't my friend saying, are you okay? It was me making a decision, going, I don't want to feel sad anymore. It's expensive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I came back to Melbourne and I was like, okay, I've got to start somewhere. Yeah. And starting was even just going to the MGV and looking for more joy in my life. Mm. Even when you don't even understand modern art. <laughs> yeah. And it was the start of what is now a business for me in a totally different lifestyle. Yeah, yeah wow. Cool story, <laughs> really cool story. <laughs> You said something about, you know how you said for a while you just weren't doing anything? Was that mm. the six months? That wasn't the six months off. That was, did you come back to Melbourne and not know what to do for a while? Yeah. Is that what happened? I yeah. felt really lost. Yeah. I felt really lost and, you know, I don't know if anyone can relate to this. You feel like you're in a body and you're talking to people, you're interacting with people and you're thinking, this isn't me. Like, I'm not wearing a mask or I felt my private self, my inner self and my public self were on different planets. Yeah. yeah. And I now know through studies and research that when you have a private self and the public self, it's like, um, it's like when mosquitoes um, see water and they kind of duplicate, that's where anxiety appears. It's like a breeding ground, right? Right, yeah. So I, I suppose I made a decision like, let's try anything. Let's go to bike meetups. Let's go out to gigs. Let's get on online dating if that helps. Like, let's get out there and just meet people. Mm. And it was through the meeting of people, because I'm, I'm an introvert, but I'm a people person. Like, I'm interested in people. Yeah. That's when I realized, like, oh, there are actually heaps of fascinating people, people out there. And they're not in my bedroom listening to Courtney Love crying on Tumblr. <laughs> they're actually in the real world. <laughs> and hey, Courtney Love, I got a lot of love for her. I got a lot of respect for her. Yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I had a pretty similar kind of experience, I think, mm. in some ways, just in terms of that finding my people. Like I I was in the corporate world until about three years ago and then just stopped, took time off. Mm. And then wasn't sure it was like I was in such a routine and had such blinkers on the way I thought Melbourne was. And then it took a while, but all of a sudden I started, and you know, I used to think I was bad at networking. These things are kind of related. I used to think I was really bad at networking too. And then just- So that's how we met, through networking, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay, interesting. But then under, like just by doing what you were talking about there, like just going to a few meetups that I thought there was something interesting about them and going to them and some of them weren't quite my thing and then I actually started for me it was going around to quite a few co-working spaces as well yeah, and talking to people there and talking, talking to the managers there and just meeting a few people like that and getting on a few mailing lists and then all of a sudden this this I don't know this underground group of people that yeah just live on a different rhythm daily rhythm or weekly rhythm and hang out in different places and talk about different stuff it just over six to twelve months it just kind of emerge. I'm like, wow, look at all this amazing stuff that's happening in Melbourne. So yeah, yeah, I, right. yeah I get what you're talking about there. Yeah. And that, and what helped you find those people? You made a decision to, am I allowed to ask you questions? Yeah, it, yeah, yeah cool. you can do yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I go on autopilot, let's talk about you. <laughs> that's just me being uncomfortable. Anyway, <laughs> but you made a decision to like 
okay, this isn't the world, there must be something else out there. Yeah, that's right. Like for me, yeah, it was a, it was a breakup as well. That kind of mm. got me, I mean, I've been questioning it, but the breakup almost gave me the excuse to um, be quite extreme in how I started searching for it yeah. <laughs> and looking for it because it's like, oh, you know, maybe gave myself that permission and maybe gave, I felt I had more social permission because people are like, oh, he's going through a breakup. Of course he's allowed to take all this time off work and go and do this stuff. Yeah. 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 And, and the idea of permission I find interesting, right? Like you had to go through something not nice to give yourself permission. Are we yeah. all sadists? Yeah. Do we all have Catholic guilt? Like what's going on here? What do you yeah. think is going on? Oh, my mum would say it's Catholic guilt. Yeah. I used to think that to make money to be successful, you had to suffer for it which is screwed up. I came from white middle-class New Zealand, like everything was given to me on a platter. Mm. But I think the notion of, I suppose there's three phases I saw myself go through and I now see my clients go through and that's, I want, I want something different, but I don't yet have the means or the confidence or the connections. And then there's, I can, I can do something. So you had an impetus for change because no change comes without it, without something horrible happening usually, yeah. a catalyst. Um, breakup, we both had breakups um, or collapse in the bathroom. And mm. the third one is I deserve. Mm. I deserve to have the things that I want and guilt around that, shame around guilt, um, permission. And like, I don't, I'm 34, how old are you? You're in your 39, 30s? Yeah. yeah. Like, were we not allowed permission prior to being in our 30s? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at what point? Yeah, at what point will you give yourself permission? Mm. But that was something I struggled with a long time. And even feeling guilty around, oh, when I started working for myself, well, I definitely need to fill up all the hours because that's what other people do. It's like, well, the goal is actually to not work that much and actually do work that has impact and is rewarding and not fuck yourself so you're exhausted at the end of the day. Like, I remember a girlfriend saying to me, Rach, you give all your, you give all your juice to your work, you come home to me and there's nothing left. You give nothing left to me. Yeah. And she was totally right because my value was, well, my, my notion of success, if, if your listeners can imagine an upside-down triangle, so the big juiciest part of their triangle was work for me, then fitness, but what that really meant was being thin, <laughs> healthy. <laughs> it wasn't about being healthy. Mm. And everything else was family. And, and I actually remember saying to this to her, which must have been heartbreaking and fucked up. Yeah, like those three things come first and then there's relationships yeah um but now it's completely flipped like relationships are everything because yeah. if i get hit by a car tomorrow what i'm going to say that i had an amazing life coach business what cool great yeah. yeah and you had no one around you yeah so tangent.com but um <laughs> yeah permissions a pretty interesting thing yeah it is isn't it and i think people in a position of privilege have time they have time to think about that stuff, but people without the means, the resources, the funds, the support, um, when they're in a history of disadvantage, they don't have time mm. to think about, I can, I want, I deserve. They're just like, I've got to survive, and then I'm exhausted. There's no other time in the world. Yeah. Which I'm kind of, which kind of fascinates me around my own sense of like white guilt and born into privilege and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go down. Let's get into that a bit more in, in a little bit. I just want to go back to you and your people and going through that, yeah, you cool. know, going to the gallery and, um, well, yeah, just 
Can you talk a bit about that journey of how you uncovered your people and who mm. who they ended up being as mm. well? Yeah. Well, the punchline is that they were already around me. I just didn't okay. see them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they were already really close to me, but I'd kind of mentally blocked them out or I'd not made myself vulnerable to get to know them and had them get to know me. So throughout my life, there have been p- people who have been pivotal who would tap me on the shoulder and be like, babe, I'm worried about you. And I'd be like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, God, leave me alone, jeez. <laughs> and so I'd, you know, avoid them because that was a tough conversation to have. Yeah. Or I'd self-sabotage or ruin a relationship because I was, didn't want to be honest about how I was feeling. Yeah. And all those people, to their credit, now that I've had my, you know, in my 30s epiphany, I'm like, hey, so how are you? They've still been there. Mm. They'll still be like, hey, babe, it's great to have you back. Yeah. And, and they saw something in me that I couldn't see until recently. They were like, you're fabulous. Of course you're going to go to Beyonce in New York and start your own business. I've always seen that for you, but I couldn't see that for myself. So there were people already around me. Um, and then the people out there, I suppose, a commonality that I found because I have ended up travelling. You know, when you find your people, you just got to go find them. A lot to, like, Queensland and Gold Coast and some in Sydney and New Zealand and here in Melbourne where we are today. Uh, people are not Googling you, looking for you. <laughs> you have to go find people. So um, for me, I had to do meetups, meet people through that. But actually, I had to go to a ton of networking events and just find people with the same kind of screwed up humour as me. And I had to, as my therapist would say, you know, people don't know how to get to know if you don't show a bit of yourself, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, so they'd be like, in the old version of me, I'd meet hundreds of people and they'd say, how are you? I'd say, good, how are you? So what are you doing at work? Like... <laughs> That doesn't leave a lot of breathing time, you know. <laughs> yeah. But if they say, hey, how are you? I'd be like, good. So I'm kind of looking after my Labradoodle. It's kind of like a co-mum queer parenting situation. <laughs> and they'd be like, well, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> like, let's, let's talk. But I also learned to acknowledge when people were kind of tolerating me or concerned trolling me, which is like, oh, you're so um, funny. Oh, that's really, oh, how funny you are when it's really a judgment right yeah, and being able to say cool you're not my people I'm not for you moving on yeah so actually a ton of networking events yeah which is easy when you're a workaholic <laughs> <laughs> and I think crucially like there are people who I love connecting with and like for example one of them's the person who's my shoe doctor she's got a place in Nicholson Street and you walk in she's like hey Rach how's it going what's going on for you she's in life she's enjoying life right and then there's someone who makes my coffee who, like, runs this place in, in Coburg called The Spot. And they're like, hey, Rich, how you going? We saw your Instagram post. How was Sydney? And these are people I don't really know. Yeah. But they breathe life into my life. Mm. You know, so they don't have to be at work. They can be in every area of your life. Yeah. 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 It's a shoe doctor. Oh, so uh, what's the proper name for people who fix shoes? Oh, okay, cobbler. 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 Okay, cool. And I'm like, you're my shoe doctor. <laughs> yeah, she's a babe. She, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's a total babe. We all need a good shoe doctor, actually. I've got one. It uh, prolongs the life of your shoes. Well, it's like getting new pair of shoes. You don't have to pay as much for them. Amazing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. totally. You've, what are you rocking today? Nikes. Ah, uh, some Nikes, yeah. These, yeah. I don't think Nikes really lend themselves to shoe doctoring. <laughs> You've got some like uh, some vintage Reeboks there. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I got these in Queensland, and the only reason they're white is because I never wear them. <laughs> we, and we have taken them onto the muddy lawn today. Oh, yeah. How do you feel about that? <laughs> I feel nervous. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you saw me kind of. How, what would be a way to describe the motion I'm doing now? Uh, 
Oompa Loompering? Kind of, yeah, Oompa Loompering, good. Oompa yeah, Loompering around the muddy waters? Yeah, yeah definitely a waddle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Finding your people is hard, but it's worth it. Yeah, it is worth right? it. Right. And it's, I think, I think part of it is, for me, was knowing that, or just, I don't know, what was it for me? But just having a bit of a suspicion that they're out there, that my people are. Well, yeah. I think, <laughs> suspicion. Yeah, that they are. Because oh, for me, it was going from a situation of being, I guess, in an IT job that I didn't really get a lot out of. Mm. But um, it was kind of, there was a lot of important things happening in that, in that world as well, like the projects I was on, the people I was associating with and kind of where my career was going. And also a family situation with two kids and coming from like working in Sydney for a while in jobs that I did really connect to. Mm. And it was this sort of topsy-turvy, just allow, giving myself the permission to imagine that there are people out there that I could really connect with and that I could feel like um, I can do my job and be successful without all the pain and ridiculous hard work of running myself into the ground. Yeah. And it took, yeah, like it actually, you know, it was a 12-month process of just allowing uh, a whole lot of cultural presumptions, I think, to to just peel away, right. the layers to peel away and, yeah. and then to see what was left and to see these subtle things that started bubbling up about this is kind of who I am and who I want to hang out with and, and I'm sort of going to try and live that way and see what happens. Mm, yeah. The subtle things are so interesting, hey? Yeah. What things cropped up for you that you're like, oh, you know, like the co-working thing, for example, is a yeah. little subtle. Yeah, that was one, yeah, because I ran one in Sydney and then I just thought, I really like that. That was an awesome thing that I did there and it was an awesome group of people. And so I just started going around the co-working spaces in Melbourne and just meeting the owners and this, you know, they're everywhere now. There's so many co-working spaces and there's yeah. such fascinating people in there doing the same a thing. lot of cool stuff. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That was actually a really important thing to do. And I was fortunate enough that I had the time to do that. Like I had some savings that could support me through yeah. a long period of time like that. So, But I think yeah. for people who are listening who might be in full-time employment that isn't floating their boat, to say to their manager or direct manager, hey, would you support me working in a co-working space for one day a week, mm. one day a fortnight, one day a month, if it's seen as quite risky, with the view of positioning as just so I can really focus and get a different perspective and work on deep work. Yeah. And just even just seeing what's out there. Yep. Yeah. So many people I meet in co-working spaces, I say, great, so what's your business? They're like, oh, no idea. <laughs> but <laughs> someone told me that coming to a co-working space would help me figure it out. Yeah. And it totally does. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it totally does. Do you work out of co-working spaces a bit? So yes and no. When I first started, totally, to meet people. Now I do work which is very emotionally intensive. So I work with individuals for up to two hours and talk about their hopes, their dreams, their fears, their limiting thoughts. Yeah. So I actually need to recover from that by isolating myself in a really quiet space. Yeah. yeah so um, actually, you know, in my bedroom is where I work from. It's not very glamorous, but I actually need to isolate myself from people and I batch my people time. Okay. So yeah. yesterday I came back from Sydney for a week and yesterday... I was in bed watching RuPaul's Drag Race. I was eating lunch in bed. I was not socialising with humans. Yeah. And today I'm like, 
Ah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think co-working space is fantastic if you're feeling a bit lost, a bit isolated. Mm. Certainly for me, when I have a lot of stuff in my head, I actually need to reduce the bandwidth. <laughs> I need to like <laughs> isolate myself a bit. Yeah. But again, isolation is something that I'm probably quite good at, and it's a bit of a red flag for me. Right. I can isolate myself and three days later be like, oh, why do I feel so sad? Oh, I did it again. <laughs> I forgot to socialize. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, she needs to schedule it in like a nerd. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, maybe we can get a little bit about into the work that you do. You call yourself the happiness concierge. <laughs> C'est moi. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, and, and you've been doing this for about three years. It's been about a three-year journey. What? What sort of things did you start, well, you started to go to places like this, but how did you start to build more joy and happiness into your own life? Yeah. yeah. I think the hardest part of my job is actually, is it walking the walk or talk? No, I can talk. Oh, I can talk. But walking the walk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like even, yeah, even today I'm like, don't look at emails, it's a Sunday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> The question was around how I got the clues to bring yeah. more joy into my life. Yeah, yeah. And, and what they were for you. Yeah. yeah. So um, a big part of my journey was around fitness in the gym. Mm. And I'd kind of approach that in terms of something that you have to, leave, you know, leave everything on the gym floor, sweat until you die. Like, only leave if you're kind of hobbling up the gym. So I had to really relook at my relationship with that. Yeah. And a pivotal part of that was um, leaving a 24-hour gym and moving to a CrossFit gym. Not because CrossFit is the end all and be all for everyone, but at that CrossFit gym, because it was a much smaller community, a trainer actually took me aside and said, hey babe, love that you're here. Um, you're not going to participate in the wild, you're exhausted. You're actually going to stretch. And those people gave me small clues around, oh, be grateful that you just turned up. Mm. So that was a big part mm. of my you know, body image history, Lola. Yeah. With work, what's the way to say this? I suppose I had all these feelings and ideas and I'm an emotional person and people who follow me will know that. Um, and I didn't know where to put them. I didn't know where to put these ideas and how to get them out there and where I put them and are they worthy of being put out there. So a friend of mine, Lara McPherson, actually said to me, get a blog on medium.com, mm. um, sync it with your Twitter account if you want to tell the world, but if you don't, and write it down there and see what happens. And I put it there, and I was so nervous pressing publish to my zero followers. <laughs> I was like, it's in the internet. Someone's going to be out there, and they're going to judge me. Yeah. Like, no one, no one cares. Like, so no one cares. But then I shared it on Twitter, and someone who's a colleague of mine was like, oh, hey, I just want to let you know that that thing you wrote was actually helpful. And that gave me confidence to do it again and again. And writing has become kind of my, my saviour. Even now when I'm feeling frustrated, I could just write. Mm. So writing a blog... Um, Finding a human connection point with my darkest area, which was the gym. So being able to go somewhere and people are like, hey, Rich, how are you? So how was your job today? Instead of, doom, doom, welcome to blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And go run on the treadmill and cry on the treadmill and we'll pretend we haven't seen that. Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. Um, and in terms of work, I think I took the pressure off myself that work was the one and only place to get joy. So it's a cliche about balance, something I'm terrible at but working on and nurturing the relationships in my real life. And a big part of that was my inability to listen to others. So that's something I've had to actively learn mm. and practice. Mm. Um, and people have told me over the years, why do you ask me questions when you don't care about the answers? Hello, are you there? Why did you come invite me to lunch when you're not gonna listen to me? And I had no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. 
So learning how to listen to others helped me deepen my relationship with others. And that's when I realized like, oh, people are actually way more important than work, (laughs) which is fucked up, but it's how I saw the world. Um, So I suppose, yeah, in summary, getting up my ideas in a healthy way. And I encourage other people who aren't ready to put it on the internet to save a Word document. Mm. And something I do now is actually I have a list of things that give me joy. So when I feel like a bit down, I can get out that notepad and be like, go to the NGV, oh, have a shower and make your bed. Making your bed, like, turns so oh, many... <laughs> totally. Yeah, it gets yeah. you out of a, oh, what am I doing? It's like, if you get up, go to the bathroom, come back and make your bed, you're like, I'm someone who makes their bed. I'm in control. <laughs> you know? It does something weird to my brain, and I'm like, let's do this. <laughs> Instead of like, poor me, we. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's kind of like, I've done something today, and something is in order. Yes, as well. I'm in control. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's how I got joy in my life, and crucially, lowering my expectations. Mm. One person or one thing or one outlet, like the work gym or whatever, isn't going to give you all your juju. Yeah. And just be grateful for the small things. Like, I think gratefulness has got a bit of a hippie rep. But a friend of mine actually counsels me every week. She sits down and she writes, what went well this week? What will I learn? And what am I looking forward to next week? And she said, now I've got a list of kick-ass things that I've done. Yeah. And just even saying, hey, you know what? I was a bit late to meet you today, Adam. But how rad is this conversation? <laughs> just reframing. Yeah. yeah. Reframing is a very powerful tool. It is, yeah. 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 And it can happen, I think, in multiple iterations as well. Every minute of every day. <laughs> yeah. And reframing is something I do a lot with my clients. So like, hey, this happened, this happened, this happened. Oh, I want to consider it for all angles. Could it be that the other person just missed their train and doesn't hate you and doesn't want you to not succeed in life? Mm. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, reframing every day. Like, hey, so-and-so turned up. Oh, isn't that great that they made it here today? Yeah. Oh, like an example is, I was on the Gold Coast, what happened? I was running late for my flight, because I always do. I got the wrong time on my flight. The flight was cancelled, and I had an appointment at 8 a.m. in Melbourne the next day. So theoretically, the old me would have been like, oh my God, the world is ending. <gasps> Everyone is an F-word or just so much anger. And so I was like, all right, let's do this. And I went to Qantas and I was like, what's it going to cost to get me to Melbourne tonight? And they're like, beep, expletive amount of money. And I was like, I'm committed to getting to Melbourne tonight, so let's do that. And I got on the Qantas and I was like, how good is it that I'm going to Melbourne tonight? It cost me an arm and a leg, like a week's wages. Yeah. But I was like, how good is life? Yeah. But the old me wouldn't have been able to cope with that. Yeah. I'm so angry. And crucially, I now know that when you're angry or in a bad place, it doesn't affect just you. It affects everyone. It's a ripple effect. But when you reframe it, if other people find it challenging reframing, think, okay, who else is going to benefit from me being in a good mood? Mm. Everybody. Yeah. You're more inclined to do favours that way and give you extra blanket on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> how did you get into what you're doing now? How, how did that actually happen? It seems you, you were saying you're in PR, in communications. Yeah, yeah. mate. Yeah, and now you're essentially a life coach. I suppose so. I don't really know how to describe happiness concierge. Yeah. Which is a bit shit when I've been, you know, I've been in PR all this time. Well, maybe you don't need to if it's working. Like, just let it be what it is. Good reframe. Yeah. (laughs) How did I get into it? Yeah, how did that evolve? Yeah. Yeah. So when I did these blog posts, I ended up without knowing that I was writing these how-tos. I was like, okay, I guess something, a core value of mine is efficiency and accountability. Um, so I was like, maybe I could be an accountability coach for life. Like, 
I wish there was someone out there calling me every day going, girl, did you make your bed? Did you go to school? You know. <laughs> so I actually thought I was going to be an accountability coach. So I signed up to squarespace.com and it was free and I'm fuck upable, which I love. And I was like, cool, I'm an accountability coach. And I emailed like everyone I knew and I was like, I'm an accountability coach. And they're like, cool. And then as I started to talk to people, I was like, oh, I actually don't think that it serves them if I'm the accountability coach. They need to be accountable. So as I started doing that, like I did everything from a free talk to talking to panel and I started talking to friends like, hey, I'd love to talk more. Do you know anything going? Mm. I didn't know what I was going to talk about, by the way, just so your listeners know that I didn't yeah. have any idea. You just thought you wanted to talk. Yeah. Like, yeah. like I wrote down on my mojo list, what gives you mojo? Anything on stage. Yeah. I could talk about this chair we're sitting on if I'm able to, if I, you give me a microphone, like a pig and shit. Really? <laughs> so I was like, I know that's a common denominator, talk. Okay. Or be in front of an audience, mm. or entertain. Um, and so people were saying, oh, could you talk on this panel? Could you MC this panel? And then I was emceeing a panel and someone afterwards was saying, oh, so clearly you're a speaker full time. And I was like, oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> like, no, I had a part-time job. Yeah. Um, and they're like, great, can you speak at this? I was like, great. So that night I was like Googling how to be a good speaker, you know, like making it all up. And then after a series of that, I, um, I met someone who's pretty pivotal on this and her name's Penny Lacasso and she runs a business called Beat Kindred. Oh, yeah, I know Penny, yeah. You know Penny, yeah. right? Straight talker, straight shooter, my kind of lady. And uh, we're on this panel together, and when I get really nervous, I swear a lot. And I I didn't realise, but I was like, I could feel myself swearing more than usual in front of 80 professional women. And I was like, why am I doing this? <laughs> Just nerves, anxiety, not anxiety, adrenaline. Yeah. And afterwards, you know, she's a host, and I was like, oh, my God, she's going to tell me, oh, look, great, you could join us. Um, let's make this the end of our professional relationship, you know. <laughs> she said, I like you, kiddo. Let's work together. You know, she's got that amazing radio voice, right? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh. And then through developing a relationship with her, and she was going on a similar journey, you know, she had her own journey to her business now. And I was like, oh, this, what I'm doing is possible, and there's someone else like that. And she likes me and she validates me and she challenges me. And that was like a relationship I was missing in my real life. Mm. So that was a pivotal part. And then as I started to do this, I started to say, okay, well, money is one thing, but what happens when I do a talk? What happens in that hour afterwards? I'm on cloud nine and I'm like an evangelist, like, yeah, you can do it. Everything's possible. This is amazing. And then other people are saying, great, so can I book an hour with you? How much does that cost? A couple of hundred, right? And I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> so my first one-on-one -on -one session was free, and the next one was $60, and the next one was $125, and I felt so nervous about that. Yeah. And now they're $400 an hour. Yeah. So that's not around money, but that's around me saying, if someone needs an hour or two of dedicated listening and validation, I can't be doing other things during the day. I need to be thinking about them, prepping, focusing on them, and after them recovering and thinking, what do they need for success for the next six weeks? So the way I looked at my work started to dramatically change. So I actually don't work a lot, but when I do, I try to be focused. Yeah. <laughs> so now that's our business. And, you know, a few people along the way, so many people along the way have given me a helping hand. Like, hey, I'd love if you do a talk here. Or can you do a presentation, General Assembly said, on branding called Brand You? So I did that for them. And then now that's nationally rolled out across Singapore, Australia, New Zealand, <laughs> everywhere. And, you know, now doing gigs with Deloitte, Powercore, Reserve Bank in Australia. And recruiters saying, hey, you're sorry with anxiety, depression, work-life balance. Can you come and talk to our 30 of our senior HR people? And ANZ, Telstra, Australia Post. So me thinking, oh, 
I'm going to leave the corporate world, you know, it's so separate. It's nothing I can give value to. Well, actually, no. The common themes are between stories that we've shared are completely applicable across any industry. Yeah. Because as one mentor said to me, everyone has stuff going on behind the scenes you don't know about. Yeah. And the more you tell your story, the more people come out of the woodworks. Like, yeah. the amount of people who come to me after a talk and said, hey, just to let you know, this thing has happened, I've had a breakup, I've had a really, you know, emotional disaster, I've been in a violent relationship. I don't know these people, but they've said, oh, okay, she said it's okay to talk about this. Mm. And that's rewarding. Yeah. <sighs> oh, I get emotional thinking about it. It's very rewarding. Yeah. Very, very, very privileged. I wouldn't mind just talking about the corporate world a little bit. And I guess, you know, that's interesting that, that people are asking you to go in and talk about that and acknowledging that this is quite a prevalent thing. Are you seeing any desire, I guess, do preventative measures in a systemic way or is it, is it more kind of how are they approaching it and what do you think might evolve there because yeah. you know yeah anyway I've got my own ideas but I'll just yeah. leave it like that <laughs> yeah very perceptive <laughs> so I think there's a long way to go for any organization but the interesting commonality is they approach me and the common request is can you come and talk to our juniors about work-life balance yeah so they're talking about the egg right not the chicken mm. I said Happy to. I'm not going to say no to that. It sounds fantastic because if I can tell younger workers my story, they'll know they're not alone. Great. Yeah. Before I do that, talk to me about the management team. Oh, no, no, no. They're good. <laughs> and that's not, common, that's not common across every organisation, but that's a common piece of feedback across every industry. All right, well, help me understand what led to the management. Well, you know, they grabbed the tools, so we rewarded them, and now they're management. Great. And how are they going? Oh, they're struggling managing millennials. Can you come and talk about managing millennials? Happy to. Cool. Talk to me about, you know, one step ahead, the executive suite. What's their approach? Oh, no, no. We just want you to talk to the younger workers. And so what that tells me is that while there is a commitment to wellness and, prevent, uh, wellness and helping people succeed in the workforce, I think there's a huge opportunity for all wellness professionals or everyone who is worked in corporate to work with executives at every level because unless the top is walking the walk the juniors are going to think like oh maybe maybe you do need to work till midnight yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's prevalent and the majority of my one-on-one -on -one clients start at age 35 and go all the way up and these are people with CEOs going, how do, I how do I balance this all? I'm supposed to be a role model for these kids. And I'm secretly emailing at home till midnight, you know? Yeah. Like really, really successful people. Intimidatingly so for some, you know, sometimes they get in my office and I'm like, um, so I'm going to teach you some stuff? What? <laughs> you know, yeah. but what they're asking is for is a different perspective. So yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts to corporate? Uh, yeah, I was very, one of my, just underlying dreams is that is to create a workplace where the people that work there are healthier at the end of the day and have more energy at the end of the day than they did at the start of the day. Yeah. And so like they don't actually need to go to the gym at the end of the day or they, they don't need to compensate for what's happened while they've been at work with other stuff. Compensation. Yeah. Energy, time, money, mojo. Yeah. How fascinating. So... I was telling you how I was in Dalesford over the weekend yeah. and with this family that um, their work is working in the garden and kind of building their house and creating this uh, showpiece of an alternative way of living mm. as a, a response to the world that they're finding themselves in and how they perceive it and how it could be. And I asked, I interviewed Patrick 
on the podcast and you know, I was saying, you know, how do you feel? It's like, I feel healthy, I feel vibrant, I don't get sick. And you don't get sick. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, so when I, my idea of the workplace has changed as a result of that conversation, yeah. but I think not all of us are going to do that, but I think that I'd like to see, and I think co-working spaces are a, a move in that direction in some cases, but uh, having, I don't know, a workplace that is genuinely concerned about well-being and doesn't kind of make token noises about it, but then reward the people that still work 18 hours a day because they're bringing in the dollars. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think it wasn't Sheryl Sandberg, but I think it was the person responsible for people of culture at Netflix that said that the values is not the corporate words. The values are the behaviours that get rewarded mm. and the behaviours that let people go. And the behaviours that get rewarded are outcomes, right? And when businesses look at income at outcomes as income only, I think that's dangerous. Because outcomes should be, as you say, it's a people-based business. And many people, you know, Tim Ferriss and many workplace experts would say, actually, the less you work, the more productive you are. Yeah. <laughs> so if I'm looking at a productive day, I'm going to get a coffee by myself. I'm going to hang out with the Labradoodle. I'm going to eat a massive lunch. I'm going to do some reading. I'm going to go to the gym. I'll probably start at 3 o'clock and then smash three hours of quality work. Yeah. Is that acceptable in a corporate workforce? Well, no. Let's, of course, we'd love to say it's not. And even when studies tell us that napping rejigs your brain and exercise restarts your brain, there's still a stigma. It's not that those perks aren't available, but so many individuals, you know, 34 and under, say, yep, I'm allowed to go to the napping room, if there is one. I'm allowed to go to the gym. I'm allowed to do flexible working. Cool. So what stopped me from doing that? Oh, no, I couldn't ask for that. Yeah. So why is it? Well, 35 plus, the leaders saying we're not walking the walk yeah. because there's some notion of success which is more is more valuable, which is screwed up. Yeah. And even, you know, when I've, I've worked full-time and I've worked part-time and I've worked three days a week, working three days a week, you do a five-day week in three because you feel so guilty about not doing enough. Yeah. And a colleague of mine actually only worked, hires working parents because they know parents know how to multitask. Yeah. But it's a whole other conversation as well. Yeah. So I think people not being, they come to me and they're spending their own hard-earned money to talk to me to get them permission to do something that the workplace is already letting them do, but there's a stigma. Yeah. Yeah, which, which sucks. But I suppose it's around, is this the right workplace for me? Mm. Or what would happen if I asked? What's the worst-case scenario? And they're going to go, no, Sarah, you can't. Okay, well, at least I know where I stand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's disappointing, and I think, so when I talk to people in my anti-burnout workshops, I say, cool, so just before we start, how do you work the best? They're like, what? I'm like, cool, are you a morning person, are you a night person? Do you like to batch work? Do you like to work, you know, in your bed? What, what ways you work the best? And they're like, oh, no, 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 we're not, no, no, we're not here to learn about that. We're here to learn how to be more efficient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because no one's ever asked them. Yeah. 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 Interesting. And, it, and it's, it's like there's only one mode of working. It's from, you know, 8.30 to 5.30 or, you know, whatever it is. There's, oh, and that, that suits everyone, doesn't it? <laughs> doesn't it? I mean, studies tell us when you're more fatigued, you're more creative, right? So if you're a morning person like myself, I'm useless at 3 p.m., but I can write an emotional blog post at 3 p.m. because I'm yeah. kind of drunk tired. Yeah. Right drunk, edit sober, yeah? Yeah. But then so many people were saying, cool, make sure you get up at 5 to get there by, to get ready by 6 at the gym and then be at work by 9. 
and then wonder why people are exhausted by 3 p.m. And then from three to five, what percentage of the working world is doing anything apart from filing emails, which is an effing waste of time? So yeah, something I teach is what are your outcomes? Oh, no, no, we're here to learn to be more efficient. Okay, what are you getting paid for? Oh, well, to make sure that the sales are A, B, and C, cool. You know what? Fuck the emails for a second. If you're not delivering the outcomes, it doesn't matter how perfect your admin is. Yeah. But hey, you know, I understand the challenges working in a corporate environment. What I'm saying is I think that there's a lot of, for people who move out of corporate and do their own workplace, something I find challenging is, oh, corporate is bad, or corporate doesn't understand, or corporate is the bad guy. No, it's just on a larger scale, and the challenges are bigger because there's more people to organize. I would say the biggest opportunities for people who have left corporate is going, how can I take my learnings and take them back into corporate and help? Mm -hmm. And also, do you want to have a paycheck at the end of the day? Come on. The individuals who I learn the most from are senior execs and major corporates who aren't perceived as entrepreneurial because we've got this weird fascination with entrepreneurs or aren't seen as cool or whatever. They are the most skilled people who I learn the most from and they're in day jobs. If someone wants to pay me a six-figure salary to do something I'm good at, it doesn't really matter where you work, does it? Yeah. Does it? Yeah, so you can still be a rock star and have a day job. I think there's a lot of like, oh, entrepreneurial, yeah, that's success. It's like, no, it's excessively risky and it will actually be really challenging mentally. <laughs> yeah. You won't get paid as much. <laughs> yeah. Um, Food for thought. I've got a couple of questions. I think we need to start wrapping up. Yeah, cool. The first one is about something that you daydream about disrupting one day that you're not actually currently part of disrupting. So, you know, you might have a bit of a fantasy or you might just be like, I'm going to be part, oh, I'd love to be part of doing that or someone should be, someone should be doing that and I'll support them 100%. Is there oh, something that yeah. comes to mind when I ask that? Yeah, heaps. Jeez. Um, uh, I think the business, best business ideas come from the things that piss you off the most. Yeah. And... I see so many people in jobs that they see as transitions. So then they want to be in plan B, but they're in plan A. So people who work in retail and hospitality in Australia, as we talked about earlier, there's a perception that it's a stop point for your career. But what pisses me off the most is that retailers and hospitality workers have such an opportunity to create long-term loyalty, increase sales, and get so much value out of customers, but they say, no, nah, we don't do that, or no, nah, that's not our job, or that stores um, across the road. And I think there's a huge opportunity for the retail sector in Australia. Yeah. You know, I shop in Tokyo because they're like, let me take your bags from another store. Let me free up your hands so you can purchase more. <laughs> let me, you know, create a shop for you. So the retail experience for one. Yeah. And I think something on a personal level that I'm really looking at, like how can I be more of an ally is towards like, how can I be, how can I use my position of privilege to be more of an ally to people who don't have privilege? How can I use my white privilege to be a voice, if that's, maybe this is something. How can I use my white privilege to help people of color who are being continually discriminated every day? And what can I do as someone who has a small following, but still a following, to help educate people around, around violence against women? Um, you know, a psychologist once said to me, all violence is planned. And how can I use that scary insight to help other people? And educate other people, and crucially, help other white men understand how they can be allies too. Yeah. Because we can't talk in a vacuum and expect change. We have to talk to the people who statistically 
are more likely to inflict violence onto their partners or ex-partners. Yeah. So, yeah, just like some easy wins there for you, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ugh, yeah, I don't know. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. The last question is about yourself and about, so it's called Subtle Disruptors, this podcast, and it's, it's about, I guess, the small things that can have a big impact and they might not be the sexiest things or, you know, <laughs> the, the most glamorous things, but is this something that, something small that you've done in your own life that's had important change or a lasting change and would be interesting for other people to hear about as well? Yeah, I think two things. The first one is what we talked about, which is lower expectations yeah. and reframe. Yeah. Reframe. Ask yourself how you want others. Ask yourself how you'd like to be behave. And those that you love, would you be proud of telling them how you behave that day? That gets me out of a lot of angry spots at the car. Yeah. Yeah. Ask yourself, would I, am I proud of how I behave today? Um, Another thing is knowing when you're in your green zone, your yellow zone, your red zone. So when I'm in my red zone, I'm depressed and crying, can't get out of bed and angry and isolated. When I'm in my yellow zone, I'm a bit fidgety, I get a bit sweaty and a bit antsy. That's a red flag. And when I'm in my green zone, I'm slaying and feeling great. When I'm in my yellow zone, what can I do to remove myself from the situation and calm down? Mm. So that's been really helpful when I've done with challenging things. And I think the most, the biggest, biggest growth for me has been when I love and respect people, how can I use my words to have courageous conversations, constructive conversations? So for your listeners, I've had two, two uncomfortable, passive-aggressive interactions over the last two weeks, um, both my personal life and my professional life. And I've had to seek counsel from brave individuals in my small, small group to say, hey, I respect this person. How can I tell them that wasn't okay? Retain them as a friend or a colleague and continue a relationship with them. And so she gave me some really good tips around that. And I think I, I do a lot of preaching because it's my job to tell people how to live their lives. But the most challenging thing for me has been courageous conversation with people I care about, saying, hey, I love you, man. That doesn't seem like you. What's going on behind the scenes? And let's agree not to do that behavior again, all right? Yeah. And crucially, as a mentor said to me, never solicit an apology from someone who's behaved badly. That's just point scoring. Always ask yourself, are you point scoring or are you telling them how you feel? Because that's your only job. Mm. And I was like, <gasps> my ego doesn't like that. I like the point scoring. You're wrong, I'm right. But no, you'll never win. So I think, yeah, learning how to have courageous conversations and know your yellow zone could actually transform people's relationships with each other. Yeah. It's scary. Like I was shaking when I was doing this, by the way, yeah. Yeah. So that could help. That's awesome. Rachel, thank you so much thank for you so much, inviting me here. And it's been Good. lovely sitting. We've even got some sunshine. The sun came out. We're looking, working on our alabaster tans today, <laughs> our computer tans. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> this is fake tan, so I'm adding to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, thanks for sharing all about what you're up to, too, and so openly. Thanks really for having appreciate me. It. Yeah, you're welcome. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I have a question for you. What ways can you find joy in your life right now, even as you are listening to this podcast? Can you give yourself permission to experience this joy in spite of everything else that is going on for you in this moment? If you like sharing your thoughts on this or anything else about my conversation with Rachel, you can do so by posting something on the Facebook page, through Twitter or Instagram, or even by sending me an email to adam at subtledisruptors.com. And of course, let me know if there are subtle disruptors you think I should know about. Coming up next week, I'm talking with Jeffrey Slater about expanding our concept of reality through plant-based medicines. I'm Adam Murray, 
and I hope you feel a little more encouraged, connected and resolute in your own quest of subtle disruption. Bye for now.